Well, hey, everybody. It's a minor detail live here at nine o'clock on Sunday evening, and we have a special guest this evening. Well, we have lots of special guests, but this individual is running for District 18 for the House of Delegates. Her name is Leslie Milano, and we had interviewed her earlier today, so I am going to go right into it. This is an interview with District 18 Democratic candidate Leslie Milano, who is running for the Maryland House Delegates. All right, everybody. Welcome back to A Minor Detail. My name is Ryan Miner. I'm your host of A Minor Detail Radio. You can find me on Blog Talk Radio at blogtalkradio.com slash A Minor Detail. And you can find me on the web at a aminordetail.com. And somebody the other day criticized me uh, really? because they thought that I didn't understand the correct verb or the, the correct semantics on how to splice a or I don't know what they said, but they, they said it should be spelled M-I-N-O-R. So I had to chime in, and I said, it's it's my last name. And nobody recognized that this person just failed to understand that a minor detail. Anyway, it, it's a long story, but I, I tried to not embarrass them and be mean about it. But anyway, if you hear another voice in the background, it's because somebody is sitting adjacent to me Hello, now. Everyone. I have Leslie Milano. She is a candidate for the Maryland House of Delegates and District 18. And, Leslie, where is District 18 in Montgomery County? I mean, I know where it is, but where kind of what does it encompass? Sure. Hi, everyone. Um, it encompasses, uh, you know, a list of, of different areas. And for the most part, we're talking about Chevy Chase, where I live. Um, and I hear that's nice. Yeah, it is. I'm I'm actually very close to Rockbridge Park, so we in Rollingwood, and and it's really uh, a Ooh. nice area there. Um, and so Chevy Chase, Kensington, part of Silver Spring, uh, Forest Glen, um, Wheaton, and part of North Bethesda. So I actually have a, uh, a link on my website, which is MilanoForDelegate.com, and people can click on it. And they can put their address in, and then they can see if they are part of District 18, and then they can also get a lot of other information about uh, their precinct and their polling place and things like that. So we're going to do, we're going to spend some time together talking to Leslie, and we're just going to have a conversation, as I always do. And what I like to begin with, we're going to go through her bio, we're going to go through her her CV, and then we're going to talk about uh, some policy. And But the, the beginning question that I just want to ask candidates is, what do you want to get out of this interview? What's what do you want what do you want people to know right up front so they just can can put their finger on it and say who is Leslie Milano and why should I vote for? What do you want people to get out of this? Yeah, great question. Um I think that, you know, what I'd like for people to know about me is that I'm a different kind of candidate than than really anyone else who's running for delegate. So we have eight delegate candidates. We have three delegate seats. We have one incumbent. Uh, which doesn't necessarily mean that that person's going to keep that seat because we have eight very highly qualified individuals. So I would say that of those people running, a lot of people have um, you know, great backgrounds, a lot of policy work, some law, and things like that. I'm really the only person who comes to this background, to, to this with a background of social justice activism from a grassroots level and who is now in a business uh, leadership position. So I have this executive leadership uh, position for that I'm my work now. I'm an um, executive director of a public health organization. And those skills that, that I've sort of been uh, 
really honing for the last many, many years. I'd say our skills that are transferable. So if I'm, you know, talking about in, in terms of an interview, when it's really transferable skills. Yeah, this is not a job interview. As you need, I know. <laughs> but I'm thinking about like when I hire people in in my uh, right. line of work. You know, what am I looking for when I hire somebody? I'm not necessarily looking for somebody who has done that thing before. I am looking for somebody who comes to the table who has passion, who has leadership skills, who understands what they need to do, and who's able to do that type of work. And so for the delegate position. I have a lot of uh, I spent a lot of time negotiating contracts. I spent I've negotiated probably 2,000 contracts in my current position. I have had situations where I've been um, with my board of directors who I am responsible to, and I've been on boards of directors where I have had to build consensus and and push through things that really weren't popular uh, when I first introduced them. And so I think that um, that I've I have grown a businesses. I understand economics. I understand budgets. I have, I've had to. I, the buck has stopped with me for a very. Okay, long time. we'll get. We're going to get into all that. So that was a that was a great answer. And what I what I am hearing from you is that you want people to know that you are not a politician. That you have skills in the private sector that are going to easily be transferred into state government, mm -hmm. and you're going to use those skills to make sure that District 18 residents are taken care of. Exactly. Okay. Yes. Thanks for consolidating that for me. Um, yeah. I mean, that is that's part of it. And then the other part that I'll just say is that um, one of the things I want to do is to to let people know that they will have contact with me and have the ability to to get in touch with me at any time. I want people to have my phone number. I want people to know that. Um, but I think that it's important to understand that, you know, people in my, who are my base, who are the parents who, who are voting for me and, mm -hmm. and are very excited about my candidacy, are people who, they don't know the names of any of the delegates. Yeah, that's a that's, problem. That's not, that shouldn't be the case. Mm -hmm. Especially when we've had the same delegates that we've had for ten years. Right. So let's go. Let's go right into it. And um, just as a, a brief parenthetical statement, that the names of the delegates in District 18 who are currently running are, um, or I should say that are, that are currently state delegates are Ansel Gutierrez. She is opting to instead run for the District 1 open council seat, which Roger Berliner is term limited out of, mm -hmm. and he's running for county executive here in Montgomery County. Right. Um, so and she's running for that District 1 seat. Then there's incumbent Alcar, mm -hmm. and he's going to run for re-election. Right. And then there is Jeff Waldstricker. Am I saying his last name correctly? Waldstricker. Yeah. Waldstricker. And Jeff has decided to run for state senate in District mm -hmm. 18 because State Senator Rich Maddalino, a Democrat, is running for governor of Maryland, right. and he is he can't obviously run for two seats simultaneously. So he's going to give up his seat, and also Dana Beyer is running for that as well. So there's there's that primary, and then there's this primary, and um, we're going to go right into the background. Let's talk about you growing up. You're not originally from Maryland, because right. um, I noticed that you had a two six seven number. And I'm like, where is this from? It's Philadelphia, right? Mm -hmm. So you grew up. I've had that number for, I just was thinking about it today, like about 20 years. So. Yeah. I could <laughs> never give up my my cell phone number. Yeah. First cell phone number I ever had was given to me back when I was 15 years old. Mm -hmm. I had a Sprint phone that was the size of Zach Morris's mm -hmm. phone. And I remember we weren't even allowed to take them inside school, pro school property. Mm -hmm. I was 
That was a long time ago. Oh, wow. yeah. uh, but I had to keep it in my car rather than my backpack. Well, you're a lot younger than me. I didn't have a cell phone when I was in school. Not that much. Younger. But anyway. Um, anyway, you grew up in, in Pennsylvania. Right out, is it outside of Philly? I grew up in Philadelphia proper. Okay. Yeah, and I went to school. Um, my high school was right outside of Philadelphia. Did you go to private school or public schools? I went to Catholic school my whole life. Oh. My whole life. So you went to private Catholic school? I did. Wow. I did. Yeah. Okay. Um, I went to a diocesan well, I don't know if you know, like, the sort of the, how the, there's different kinds of Oh, listen, Catholic I Catholic. have grown up Catholic. Okay. Um, a little brief aside about me. When my mom, when I was in first grade, my mom came to me and she said, or no, this was in kindergarten. She goes, Ryan, do you want to go to St. Mary's? My mother went to Catholic school. My grandfather went to Catholic school. All of my family went to Catholic school. And she goes, do you want to go to Catholic school or do you want to stay to private, public school? And I'm like, well, all my friends are in public school, so I want to stay in public school. My, so my mother went, all these years through private Catholic school. Then I went to Catholic college. Then I went to another for Catholic graduate school. And I um, I enjoyed that. It was a good upbringing. Um, I, I did not like going to Sunday school, <laughs> to be honest with you. Well, the CCD, yeah, it's yeah. totally different than, uh, than so, going to Catholic school. But I yeah, feel you. Yeah. Catholic school is um, – it was good because I, I really do think that <clears throat> it gave me – it really gave me a, a grounding for me. It gave me a grounding in um, in really in social justice issues. That's yeah, really where it all comes from. And right? you typically wouldn't think of this Catholic Church being a social, uh, promoting social justice issues. Well, yeah, people who are not Catholic. I mean, but you're Catholic. But I, mean, I am Catholic. Even, even though I think. Yeah, you know. Well, I'm not such a good Catholic right now, but oh. um, you know, people don't typically know sort of the. Um, the, the background on and, and like all the writings on social justice within the Catholic Church, but the, I like you know for me and again I'm not I'm not um, you know I, I'm I'm always going to be Catholic right but I'm not I'm not particularly you know very very religious, mm -hmm. um, but I like how there is a focus in the, the Catholic Church on social action. Yeah, that is at the heart of that religion. And you know who and, is at the center of that is our new Pope, who I love. I think that Pope Francis. It is one of the best people for our times to be mm -hmm. where he is. And I, I remember when, you know, the black smoke came out and he was announced. And look, here's the, the single biggest thing that I think that you can relate to. The man is a Jesuit. You yeah. went to St. Joe's, and that's a Jesuit college. I went to Duquesne. We were spiritual, so our focus was more on going to impoverished places and, and yeah. basically um, educating through the spirit and teachings. And so... We we did not have that Georgetown Jesuit feel, and I know that they say Jesuit is like not even real Catholic. It is okay. They are the smartest Catholics out there. They are. We all know it, and all my friends who went to Georgetown will tell you. Yeah. Oh yes, we are the smart Catholics. Well, the, the Jesuit priests have to. It's really funny that we're getting into this. But like, just the, as a side note, like the Jesuit priests, they have a certain level of education that they need to do. So of course, they have, they have their their masters in theology, their masters in um, in philosophy a lot of times, and then they go on to do a PhD. So they do have. They, education is extremely important to them in terms of graduate level education, and um, and they have you know they 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 really um, focus a lot on uh, on social justice and, and really f focusing on. You know the most vulnerable among us. I mean, that's really sort of where their their niche is. And so after I graduated from college, I went on and I did this volunteer program with called the Jesuit Volunteer Corps, mm -hmm. which um, it's just like AmeriCorps essentially, but it's run by 
by the Jesuit. Uh, but you did by your major in college was biology. You got a Bachelor of Arts in. So how did yeah. a Bachelor of Science in in biology? What I, I, like me when I went into college and I was a I started out I I was going to be a teacher, but then I decided to. In, instead changed to political science. Ultimately, I should have been a business major. Um, however, I wanted to change the world when I was in college. I was young, dogmatic, and creative, what, what I thought, and I wanted to to change the world. But I'm not I'm not dissing political science majors because there's there's a lot of good that I learned out of that. But yeah. how did how does that work? You were attracted to was it Did you want to practice something in biology? Yeah, I mean, I was going to go to medical school. My, Be a doctor. Uh, yeah. I, I had planned that my a whole... A pediatrician? Yeah, a pediatrician. Okay. Did I tell you that already? No. no. Uh, yeah, that, that was my plan. My, my my grandfather was a pediatrician, and so... Um, on your mom or dad's side? On my mom's side. So your mom's dad was a, a pediatrician, pediatrician. Yeah. In, in Philly? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, that, that was the plan. I mean, I, I focused very heavily on science throughout all of my high school years, and... Um, and then I, and then all my college years, and then I was getting ready to study for the MCATs, and I thought, I really need a break. And I wanted to do some volunteer work, and I thought, well, let me do this this one-year program. I'll study for the MCATs then, and then I'll take it, and then I'll go to medical school. And I worked, I, I did the volunteer program, and they put me in an uh, opioid clinic. Wow. And so I worked. Totally relevant to our issues that are... Today, I mean, that's a big deal. Yeah, yeah. So I, I worked for a year in an opioid clinic, and um, I mean, it was a it was a drug and alcohol clinic, and we we did, um, and so I was doing like counseling for. I was like, had I was just out of college, like I. Put so you were about twenty two, twenty three. Yeah, but um, it was volunteer program, and they didn't have a lot of uh, infrastructure, and so they had volunteers really assisting um, in that kind of way. Man, and we were so changed. different back in college. Yeah. I look back and I think I. I was just a totally different person. A mindset was different, mm-hmm. and life happens. And you you think in college, I want to change the world, but I then you drift off into one direction. But then life curves take you well, in a different direction. And and for you, um, one of those pathways they it, it took you to Indonesia. Um, and as you you mentioned, social justice that's a big issue for you. And mm-hmm. I and I see how passionate you are. And I think that's. I can tell that you're ready to take that to Annapolis um, and work on behalf of your constituents. Tell us about your time, your month spent in Indonesia. Sure, sure. So, um, so after, so I, I, let me just take a step back. So after I had done um, that program, I I, I started a um, well, I, I did a trip around the world with a friend. Hmm. Backpacked. I mean, we we did it. Oh, on you a Shoestring budget. How much was that? I mean. Let me just tell you that we were when we were in India, uh, we were we would walk a mile before we took a cab. So like we were doing it about as a shoestring budget as possible. I think my my flights were fourteen hundred dollars, and we stayed in places that were two dollars. How did you raise the money? Fourteen hundred. I mean, I was working before. Oh. I was working before then, and that, it was really all the savings that I had. And I was like, Mom and Dad, I'm going around the world, and I'm leaving on Wednesday. Did they object? Yeah, my dad was like, Why? Why are you doing this to me? Are you his only daughter? No, I'm not. But it was like, it's so, it was just, I'm not Greek, but it was like so my big fat Greek wedding. Yeah. Like that kind of like, how could you do this to me? Yeah. And I was like, well, you know. Did he beg you not to go? Oh, yeah. Did he threaten and say, if you don't, if you go, then. No, 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 no threats. 
Um, but he, he was really sort of very, and I knew he was going to be upset. That's why I didn't tell him until three days before I was leaving, because it was like, I'm going to have to deal with him asking me every so often, you know, don't go. So I just didn't tell him for a very long time. Um, and then and then I went, and it was amazing. I mean, I worked with, um, I did volunteer work in a number of different places. I had worked with Mother Teresa's sisters yeah. in Calcutta and in Nepal. So you went to Calcutta? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Did you meet her. Mother Teresa? No, no, she had passed away. She passed away. If I went there a few years earlier, I would have met her, but... Um, she was a wonderful nun. Yeah, I mean, she did she did amazing things. Um, she, you know, and and she did she did a lot of great work. There's criticisms about her, and I always would say to people, like you you cannot criticize someone whose shoes you have not walked in. Right. I mean, the the level of poverty in a place like that. I really wanted to go and see what is the what is the a lot of places understanding of the poorest of the poor. Well, in a lot of places that you were that you spent time in, they didn't even yeah. have shoes to walk in. Yeah. No. Exactly. Um, and so, so I did that, and then I, I started this nonprofit organization, and uh, and with that nonprofit, I had I started to. And you were 25 when yeah. you were when you started a nonprofit organization with um, somebody else named Jim, and it's called Educating for Justice. Yeah, yeah. And so you started a nonprofit. I can't imagine somebody starting a nonprofit organization at 25 years old. So yeah. how did talk? Let's. I want to talk about the nonprofit and then how it led you to Indonesia. What what was this all about? So I was really at the the ground level of the anti sweatshop movement. Hmm. Um, so anti sweatshop meaning internet multi corporate multinational mm -hmm. corporations basically taking advantage of workers mm -hmm. um, and paying them wages that are incomprehensible. Right. Okay. I mean, so so it's U.S. corporations, yeah, it's exactly that. It's U.S. corporations who subcontract with factories, typically abroad, um, to produce, in my case, the, the workers that I was looking at were apparel and footwear. And so that, I, I worked uh, with many, many people on, on a national basis here to really help to build up um, United Students Against Sweatshops, which is, um, I, I wasn't part of, I wasn't part of their leadership, but I was sort of pushing that, uh, Pushing that note in terms of helping with the campaign mm -hmm. and doing the work through my nonprofit, um, and I so I worked. I, I lived in Indonesia for a period of time uh, with. Why? Why did you want to go? What was the? Well, I mean, the there impetus. was a lot. There was a, we were working with some people in Australia who were working for Oxfam Australia, and they were they were they were there, and there was a couple of other people, like a guy, a friend of mine who had broke the Kathy Lee Gifford story with sweatshops a long long time ago. I remember that story. So there's a number of us. Um, probably like a handful of us really who are sort of trying to bring attention to these factories overseas. So there but there was nobody who was there on the ground who was reporting from from mm -hmm. the ground and about and about workers. So that's so we worked you know in conjunction with these groups and said well we'll go. So went to Indonesia and um and and met with workers, did research on living wages and then and and lived on on their wages to sort of help to how much did you live on a day? I mean, it was it was a dollar twenty-five a day. I mean, I, and I was twenty-five years old, so this made a lot of sense at that time. You know, to do something really, um, to me, it was very profound to sort of, you know, meet with workers and and sort of understand from from their perspective what they were dealing with every day. Because you can't really speak to something if you don't really experience it. Because I, my, our, the goal was to come back. Did to they speak any day. English? No, I had we had translators. You had a translator. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So you you flew into Indonesia and. Mm -hmm. You met with some of the um, the factory workers who were making yeah. uh, the the apparel for these multinational corporations, and you you took on Nike. 
Yeah, I mean, in a big way. Have you ever, yeah, in a really big way. Have you ever met with a representative from Nike? Oh, yeah, yeah. And you've sat down and said, hey, this is where we stand, and this is the social justice change that we want to see. And did you get pushback? Oh, I mean, (laughs) Nike actually would send out a, um, it's funny that I haven't talked about this in a long time. They They would send out a, um, like a, some information to all of the colleges and business schools where I would go and speak about corporate social responsibility ahead of me getting there. Yeah. And, and you spoke there. to lots of colleges. Yeah. Like was it years. over 300? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Over eight years. And, um, yeah, so, and, and I sat down with them and they knew, they, they, they got it. It's just that the business model for U.S. corporations is not conducive to treating low level workers fairly. You know, it's just, it, they're, they're completely at odds. Um, and it's, so so we, we push a lot of different issues. Living wages, I mean, that, that never really, um, we were never, no, no organization like mine or any to date has been successful in really raising wages. It's the minimum wage that is, that wasn't even being paid. So we were able to at least guarantee that the minimum wage is being paid. So that was like a little bit of a boost. Then uh, working on some um, standards, essentially, for the, for the industry, and then making sure that there was independent monitoring to make sure that those standards were being followed. So those are things that I had worked on for, for a very long time, and I think that we, had, we saw some gains. And, uh, were How do you measure gains. that? How do you measure the gains? I mean, what well, I mean, they weren't doing uh, – so the independent monitoring that we wanted for, for these factories to, to have um, – there's a organization. There's only a couple organizations that were doing independent monitoring. So we were building support on college campuses mm-hmm. to have the colleges sign on with these independent monitoring bodies, because the colleges had contracts with Nike and Adidas to have their their uh, athletes completely outfitted, and then also were selling the the items in their bookstore that were co-branded with Nike and then the college name. So those, that was an in, po- in part, you know, point of um, connection there where we were able to, to make some, some headway. And um, so it was that and, and then a number of other things that we were, we were able to see change. I mean, there was, there was a number of issues like that dealt with women's issues mm-hmm. that I had been, I sat down with the Nike factory, uh, Nike executives and mm-hmm. they were like, we are going to change this. And they did. So. Um, so, so they listen. Good. Yeah, they they so they listen to everything that's not an economic argument. I mean, it really when you know it comes down to it, it's um, when you're talking about wages at 700 factories, um, you're talking about I mean you're talking about a lot of money, and so yeah. so even raising a wage, a you know say 50 cents an hour, um, or I'm sorry 50 cents a day. We're, there we're talking about dollar twenty five a day. So we're talking even 50 cents a day. I mean. It's still gonna, it's going to have a large impact, but it's not really going to even cut in too much to the huge marketing budget that they have. So, that a business model like like Nike's or Adidas or any of the clothing that we wear, um, it's actually a business model that um, really seeks to pay low women, low income women of color, horrible wages. And then they make an enormous amount of profit, and then they spend it in the different ways that they want to spend it. They spend it on marketing. They they treat themselves. I mean, the, the campus that they have is gorgeous, and they have they're, they're you know highly paid executives. So it's just sort of asking the, like a moral question of you know what can you do better right. for people. 
because the people who work there, I'm, I, you know, I'm convinced that the people who work for these companies, I'm, they're just, they're just like us in many ways. Like people just don't, they don't know the 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 issues if it's not right in front of them. Right. And this was when you when you visited Indonesia, there was it was emotional for you. I saw a video, and no, I I we're not going to talk about it. And you're and and if you're listening, she just hit me. Uh, <laughs> ferociously in the head. No, I'm kidding. Oh, geez. So, and that's a misdemeanor in Maryland, i got to say. Um, so, but it was something that was so passionate for you. And one of the things that you saw there, they didn't wear shoes, right? I mean, a lot of these folks that did not have... Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, regardless of the industry that we're talking about, you know, the the, the low-end workers can't who, who are making shoes can't afford... Uh, quality shoes, mm-hmm. people who are uh, planting and, and, and harvesting coffee can't afford to drink good coffee. I mean, like, that's that's our globalized world. I mean, that's yeah. we have, it, the, in, and I'm not, you know, we could get into capitalism and all of this stuff, but I, there's a lot of benefits from our from our economic system, and, um, and I think that there's ways to moderate the amount of profit mm-hmm. That is so that we are talking about treating people at least bringing them up from a level of death mm-hmm. or poverty into a working yeah. class job, so that you can still have an enormous amount of profit. You carried but the torch for these folks. Going to you did. Eat. You carried the torch for this, yeah. and then, but symbolically as well, uh, and and in a way that um, it got you a little bit of news coverage. Um, speaking of the Winter Olympics, you did your own. Uh, you were your own Winter Olympian. You ran barefoot through <laughs> South Philly for yeah. 9.2 miles. Barefoot? No, 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 not, not that long. It was just probably... Oh, I thought it was No, no. 35-degree weather. It was. It was but the Olympic torch relay is just like two two blocks, yeah. maybe three blocks, okay. something like that. Um, it was fun. It was, a, it was a good opportunity. Fun? It was, it was, it was a great... Wow. I mean, to be... A, yeah, to be a torchbearer in the Olympics is amazing. Well, right? of course, but you also ran barefoot. And I ran barefoot because I was doing all. Did this you hurt work your feet? Time. No, no, I was doing all of this work at the time, and it just made sense to sort of take a moment to, to try to get some more awareness about the issue. You know, so I was very, very much involved with a lot of people who were working overseas mm-hmm. with these jobs, and it's. Um, yeah, I was just trying to do everything that I could to raise awareness. Do you ever get any pushback from people that say, oh, Leslie, you know, this is a lost cause? I mean, this hasn't been my cause for a very long time. So I know. I haven't been I – haven't, this is – I mean, the first kind of time that I've been talking about this for a very long time. It's it's good to sort of – But it's fascinating. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's good stuff. Because it builds a narrative of who you are mm-hmm. and how you were – Led and and guided in your career to mm-hmm. to ultimately decide that you wanted to see public office of your own. Absolutely, absolutely. And I'm surprised that you haven't done it earlier in your career. I really am. So are all my friends and family. Yeah. So I, when I finally announced that I was running, you know, and I, I was interested. You know, what what will people say? You know, um, they were like, "Hey, God, we were waiting for this." Yeah. So. And so I, people are really excited. What are you doing now? What is your full? Your some candidates are not working full-time, or they may have left a career to, to run full-time, but yeah. you're balancing quite a lot. I mean, you have two, chil- you have two children, mm-hmm. you are a mom, mm-hmm. and that's, that comes first, mm-hmm. and you are a candidate for the House of Delegates, but you also work full-time over in Virginia, mm-hmm. and you, like the rest of us, suffer through the just unconscionable traffic that we, <laughs> and hopefully smart people like you can go to Annapolis and work with whomever our next governor might be, whether it's Larry Hogan or someone else, mm-hmm. 
and local officials in Montgomery County fix this traffic mess. And we'll talk about that because sure. that, that is on the top of my mind every morning I and every evening. Blast, yeah, yeah. It, it's tough. It is it, tough. It's I tough. Yeah. It takes away time from spending time with, um, you know, your your two children, George and Vivian, and, mm-hmm. and your husband. I mean, it, it really does. When I want to come home at night, I, I was telling Kim the other night, I was I was in the car, and I left my – I went to Reston's um, – they have a – Lifetime Fitness, mm-hmm. and so I went there, and then I, I left at 7 o'clock, and usually the traffic dissipates around that time, and I go down the Reston Parkway, and if I hit 495 at the right time, um, I can get across the bridge with no incident, mm-hmm. and I just zip up River Road, and I'm, I'm there, I'm home, and it takes me about 40 minutes, mm-hmm. sometimes less, mm-hmm. but I, I waited in traffic two and a half hours the other night. I mean, I, I, could, I, I made phone calls, and I tried to be productive, sure. but... What I don't have my laptop. I have my smartphone. I, I have to be paying attention to the road. Right, and that that in and of itself isn't safe. But everybody's doing it because when they're in traffic, because yeah. they're trying to test time. Yeah. But but we'll talk about that. But in, over in Northern Virginia, you work for what is your company? What is um, you're the executive director of a, a health a public health association? Yeah. yeah. I mean, the public health association consulting division. So essentially, wow. it's, um, Yeah. So it's um, we are. You're the big cheese. <laughs> well, no, there. So the, you know, here we have. The association that I work for is, um, rep, you know, our members, it's a professional association, our members are nurses. So we mm-hmm. have about 15,000 nurses. Wow. Who are our members, yep. And what we do is focus on infection prevention and control. Wow. And so we try to, um, so the, the nonprofit organization does trainings and, and, and education and a number of things, like advocacy work, mm-hmm. Um a number of things to sort of move uh, the ball forward and, and, and really help our facilities, our health facilities, so hospitals, long-term care, you know, nursing homes, ambulatory, so that there that we increase our patient safety. And it's it's is it countrywide? It's, oh yeah. It's, okay. It's, it's international. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So. so that my, has to be rewarding work, especially coming from your you know advocacy work that you yeah. you did from nonprofit to um, being the executive director of this of this organization, um, I would find it fascinating. Yeah, my, my role here for, for my division, it's, um, it's a consulting division. So it's interesting because I am the executive director of a for-profit organization okay. that is wholly owned subsidiary of the larger nonprofit. So we only have one stockholder. And all we're trying, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to build and, and grow this organization uh, to do a number of things. I mean, obviously, increase patient safety. I'm working with about 40 state health, uh, over the years, 40 state health departments, um, you know, helping to, I've negotiated multi-million dollar contracts with, you know, with different uh, entities. And so we're trying to increase patient safety. And at the same time, we're diversifying our revenue to sort of drive a lot of the, the work that the nonprofit does. I, I could think of no better skill than to bring to Annapolis than, <laughs> than this. And quite frankly, and everyone has a different sort of qualification or a unique niche that they're bringing mm-hmm. to, and especially this very dynamic field of District 18 candidates, mm-hmm. but I look at your background and I think this could be very useful for lots of different committees. Um, I think that you have an opportunity when you're elected to dip in and to um, to shed some real insight on what quality health care means and the access to it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a big passion of mine is 
finding health care for everyone. And we can mm-hmm. talk about whether we believe that health care is a fundamental human right, and I happen to believe it is. I agree. I, I believe it is. Mm-hmm. And America has a problem, um, and we don't. I think the solution is sitting in front of us. I just don't know. I think that there's different avenues to get there. And the problem is, is that we're really good at providing some of the world's best quality health care. We just can't figure out how to pay for it. That's the problem. Yeah. We can't figure out the funding model. Right. That's, yeah. I mean, so, agree. Like, I, I've, I've actually, um, I, have a, I have a team of people who are working with me to build out my policy plan. Mm-hmm. So, in addition to... Um, Your policy, this is, are you talking campaign-wise? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, I've, I've tapped into, so I've tapped into folks who deal with, um, various issues of subject matter experts or, or community leaders and, and organizers who are dealing with these issues. So I've been um, so I've been working on on plans that and sort of looking at proposed plans from a, a number of gubernatorial candidates. Right. Um, actually, Dr. Dana Beyer also has a really good plan on her um, that she's pr- uh, pr- proposing as well. And, and a lot of this is all sort of the same thing. Like we're looking at single payer. Plans or mm-hmm. the Medicare for All option. I mean, there's there's also like the public option, but you know, it's as you're saying, it's really sort of understanding. Um, Can there be both a public option and a free market option? I mean, it's. I mean, look, there's what I think that we need to do is, um, and and I'm Brian Frosch when I heard him speak the other day, sort of laid this out too. You know, what we need to do is sort of start with our what we are looking to achieve. What I think that like a business person does in terms of understanding their plans is they start with the outcomes that they're looking for, mm-hmm. right? And you're looking to see what the impact is that you want to make. And then you sort of work backwards from there. And there are ways for us um, at different levels of, of government to create uh, certain standards that we are going to set forth and that we're going to work with insurers to demand certain aspects that we want in our overall plan. And we already have our all-payer system, right, so that hospitals um, are charging the same rate no matter who has insurance and who doesn't. So here we are, we have the, the capability in our small, blue, progressive state with a veto-proof majority to really create whatever type of plan that we find to be the best option. So... You know, for me, well, that, that's how the Constitution originally was set up, is that the states were the incubators of liberty, and you mm-hmm. could design your own um, plans as you see fit that was best for your particular class of people um, or you know, the, the way that the political dynamics shift, mm-hmm. and whereas the federal government should really kind of stay the hell out of things as much as possible. And that's where my – and that's where I believe that federalism – allows us this real opportunity, as I meant, to be the incubator of liberty and to find out what works best for us. Yeah, I mean, the way I look at it is that Maryland can be the incubator uh, for the rest of the country on many, many issues. And we have led on many issues. And we have led. We've done a terrible job of communicating that, our wins. Why? Because because it's just marketing communications. We haven't done it well. Are Marylanders humble? Is that just our, I mean, are we... No, I think Marylanders are doing the work, and they're not doing that. What comes after the work is the marketing and the communications, right? After you win, then right. you tell everybody, this is how we did it. This is what we did. And then you really, like, you, you market yourself in that kind of a way. I mean, California is pretty good at that, right? We all think of California. We think of progressive, progressive innovative, tech, tech you know, areas. 
it's okay because <laughs> we think of a lot of different things, right? Um, but I think that for um, for us, like for for me, you know, I didn't, you know, before I moved to Maryland, yeah. I didn't think of Maryland as being some of the. What know, did you think of Maryland? I'm always curious to see what people. I was born and raised in Maryland in Western Maryland. Yeah. But I'm always interested to see the perspective of when, when people decide to locate here. What what was the draw for you? Oh, the draw. Um, well, we were living in Capitol Hill. We had outgrown our our house, and we. Oh, you, you lived know, on Capitol Hill. Yeah, yeah. So did I. Oh, okay. Yeah. I did. I lived on Fifth and Constitution. Okay. Uh, and I don't miss it at all. Yeah, I I don't miss it at all either. Um, well, there was a lot of crime. Actually, actually, there was a lot of gun crime. Where in the yeah, area, and that was one of the reasons. The, the the reason why we left is because we were we outgrew our house. Okay. But the other things like the the gun Expensive violence too. didn't help, you know. Um, yeah, it, it. I mean, everywhere around here is expensive, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but actually, the property taxes are half that what they are here. But mm-hmm. the and we can talk about education. The the, 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 the well, the classroom, the, the classrooms there are much. Uh, yeah, they they have a reduced size. Yeah. Uh, in, in terms of what we have here. Um, so yeah, so did that, and when I thought about uh, when we thought about moving, um, we just we loved it around here. I mean, Good. the feel of of Maryland, like I'm just saying, like the culture, right? right? Um, it's diverse. You know, you don't have like all these strip malls that um, Virginia has. I mean, you don't have like these huge wide highways that Virginia has. I mean, it just seems like the exact exactly the kind of place that. That we wanted. It's a community. It is a community. It you know it reminded us of home in many ways, and it just felt like home. Yeah. We came here, and we were like, boom, we're not, we're never leaving. Like this is our home. So you plan to stay? Oh yeah. Good. Oh yeah, we're here. We're here for the long haul. Okay. We're Marylanders. That's good. Oh, that's yeah. good to hear. I am too. For, for I and mean, that's why I want to run for office as well. Yeah. I wasn't seeing really anything. You know, I I. Let's get to that. Okay, what, yeah. Let's I, talk about. Let's, let's talk, talk about, about that. Office. What's the aha moment for you? What was it uh, when you said, "Oh man, I got to do this"? Um, because let's let's be fair that you got in later than I think most people would have gotten into this. Yeah, I mean, Joel Rubin got in probably two weeks ahead of me. Joel Rubin is who? Uh, Joel Rubin is. He's one of your competitors, he's right? One of my competitors. He and he ran for Congress against Jamie Raskin. He did, I believe. Yeah. Yes. Um, so he uh, he got in late too. I mean, late. See, here's the thing: the filing deadline is not till end of February. February 27th at 9 p.m. <laughs> exactly. I, I know that because I've written about it a hundred times. So, <laughs> so you know, to me, getting in in late December was was not um, that. I but some of your com- like a fine idea. But some of your competitors also do. got in a lot earlier than and and that's and so. It's not a criticism, but I think people are saying, "Oh, well, she got in too late, and she's not, she's not, she couldn't get some of the endorsements." Well, let me tell you about. Well, well, I mean, I don't know. If I haven't heard. people. Well, maybe you're you're talking to people. So maybe well, I'm just saying. Say, I, I want to be fair. Yeah. Well, so I mean, let and let's be fair. Let's be fair about that. Like, good. You, this is a good point. And I am not. I'm not like. Um, you know, I'm just not a politician. By training, like I've never run for office before. I, am I coming, applaud you. I'm coming to this because I care very deeply about the issues that I am, you know, on my platform and that I really want to make changes. So, you know, for me, I I got in. I the filing deadline end of February. I thought for sure that when you look at an endorsement, right, you always sort of think, well, they've done their work. They mm-hmm. have looked at everyone. They did it. They have a sound process, and then they choose 
the best people. And so if they are endorsing, whoever they might be, then they did it well, right? Mm -hmm. But, yeah, the, the, the teachers and then and SEIU 500 didn't um, wait till the – they didn't look at everyone. And actually, I think the teachers didn't even look at – Why wouldn't they wait until the filing deadline? And no – I don't know the answer to that. But the, I can tell you that, you know, I, I tried very hard I, to, to be reviewed. That would piss me off if well, I were I a was, candidate. I was – I was shocked by it. I was shocked for a number of reasons. I mean, I have all this labor background, so that I was hoping that you know that that would be recognized. Um, it wasn't. That's okay. Fine. Your um, background in labor is is what? Well, I mean, just all the Indonesian stuff we were talking about. I mean, I have worked on living wages. I've uh, issues. I've I have spoken at three hundred universities trying you know about corporate social responsibility, like on behalf of workers. Do you feel like you were shafted in that respect? No, I. D I mean, but look, you're not resentful. I'm not resentful at all. Here's the thing: if I when I, when I get there, I am going to act the same way I would have acted if I had the endorsement. Yeah, but if that were I me, I think they have a flawed process. Leslie, if that were me, I would say, "Come on, guys. You know, I. I it's not you're trying to be naggy, and you're." I understand that you're a new candidate, yeah. but here's what happens in politics, from my experience as an onlooker, just mm -hmm. somebody from the outside. Yeah. They get comfortable with establishment people. Well, I, that's from what I am hearing. That's what happened. And that's I know unfair. That Emily didn't get uh, Emily. She Emily wasn't reviewed either. Emily Shetty. Yeah, and she's she one of your competitors. And she got in a long time ago. So I think that the process is flawed. Here's the problem that I have: is that you look at this situation and you know you assume a comprehensive, robust process. We forgot to mention that you're a Democrat running in the Democratic primary <laughs> because Republicans don't win in, in District 18. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, there, there's no chance for a Republican in District 18. That's on the record. <laughs> um, however, we do have a green person, somebody in the Green Party who just... You have a Green person? Yeah, we have, a green, we have somebody in the Green Party just... Oh, a Green Party. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, I mean, God no, bless them. Who knows? They just jumped in just like... That's tough. Days ago. Um, but I think that, you know, when I looked at, again, like, I'm not criticizing the... I my mother was a teacher for 30 years. Like, I... Uh -huh. I am what did she teach? She taught first grade. Oh, uh, that's school. the best. Yeah. Everybody remembers their first grade teacher. Exactly. Do you remember yours? I do. Who was I your do. first grade teacher? I had... Well, I had, an, I had sister, um, Roseanne, and I had... Oh. Yeah. Sister. Yeah. And so, yeah, so we had... Um, you know, so My first grade teacher was um, Mrs. Cross, and she was the new teacher at Lincolnshire Elementary School. And I was I was the younger kid in the class because my birthday is in November. Mm -hmm. And she told my mom, she sat her down, and she said, Ryan knows all the answers to the to the questions, but he doesn't raise his hand. And she and my mom's like, Yeah, uh, that's that's probably true. And she said, Ryan knows all the answers, but he, I I think that he needs he he seems to be very um, kind of sometimes disjointed in his thoughts, but he's, she said he's so smart. So that she, I, I accredit her as the person that softly prodded my mother. Cause when I was, and I'll, I'll be very open and honest. When I was a child, they had me on, they used Ritalin mm. for me. And I was, mm -hmm. I had what was considered at the time, kind of the beginning stages of um, attention deficit mm -hmm. disorder. And people say, well, why do you want to talk? Why do you talk about that? Because it's who I am. It's part of my childhood. And that's why, and I think that, Reducing the stigma, just like with reducing the stigma around opioid addiction right. and any other addiction, I, we talked about it all the time. Hey, I just have to take a, a medication that, that helps me focus just as somebody would have to take insulin um, that will help them be a diabetic. So I credit my first grade teacher for paving a, my pathway in education and helping me get through public schools. Yeah. Aren't you glad that she didn't have to wield a gun? Um, I am. And – 
And so that's something I really want to talk to you about. Yeah. If I w- well, I mean, my mother, God bless Mrs. Cross, but yeah. I don't know if I would have trusted her with a well, fire. I, yeah, when I hear, when I see, you know, I have a lot of friends on Facebook who are Republicans from Philadelphia, and when I see these conversations about, you know, we should just arm all the teachers, not everyone's saying it, but some people are, uh, you know, it's like, my, can, do you want my mom with a gun in yeah. first grade? You don't. You no. Know? I mean, it's a terrible Would she do it? No. God, no. We, the parents would never allow it. Okay, I the I just went I just came right before I was here. I was at a Moms Demand Action okay meeting, and, and that's an advocacy group and that an is advoc- the Gun Violence Prevention Advocacy Group. Okay, and I'll tell you, people are are they upset? They are pissed. Yeah, they should be. They are. So they should be, and let's talk about that. We'll get into your platform, but this is on the tip of everybody's mind, and that's uh, what happened in Parkland and Florida last week on Valentine's Day. We thought it was enough when it happened in Columbine. I was I was probably I think I was in eighth grade and I remember the names of the shooters. I remember how many students died. I remember watching television, the moms and dads on CNN. Mm-hmm. And I remember Sandy Hook like it was yesterday. Mm-hmm. And I remember I was in my office in downtown DC and I was watching Twitter, and I saw the news reports, and it happened in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. And it was a Friday afternoon, and it was cold. I just I remember that it was so cold. It was right before Christmas, and I had watched the, the incoming coverage, and I just I just I remember sitting at my desk with tears streaming down my face, thinking, "How could this happen? How could this happen? And, and how could we ever let this happen?" And what would ever make someone possessed to do that? And it was horrible. Mm-hmm. And then we spent weeks talking about it, and Congress forgot about it. Mm-hmm. And then we mo- went on. We had San Bernardino. We had, what, geez, I mean, just count the number of mass shootings. Mm-hmm. The, the Pulse nightclub, Las Vegas, mm-hmm. people attending a concert, mm-hmm. Leslie, mm-hmm. a country music concert, and was gunned down. By someone, a by a yeah, a sniper. And then you think about. And then we, and then you our think. School. Yeah, and so then we have this incident in Parkland at, mm-hmm. um, at, at a high school. And I've watched these brave young men and women mm-hmm. say, "We're not going to, we're not going to take this crap anymore. We're not." So impressed. And so, as a mom, mm-hmm. who has, and your your daughter's in what grade? Second grade. Yep. So, and I have a little guy in pre, pre-K. Pre-K. Mm-hmm. We have one in middle school and elementary school, mm-hmm. and we we we've, we we got to do better. And I don't I don't want to hear any I don't want to hear this nonsense that we're living in an open society. That's true. We do. We live in an open society where America is a place that we have an inalienable right to protect ourselves, our life, our liberty, and our property. But we have a problem with guns. We do. And we have to admit that and we have to acknowledge it. Absolutely. And candidates like yourself are fighting the good fight and you're out talking about it. And But we ha- I know that Maryland has strict gun laws. Mm-hmm. But this solution, this nonsense that we can prevent another mass shooting if we just arm teachers, if we yeah. just give teachers bonuses right. – I'm sorry. That that to me. The worst idea ever. That I is mean, a terrible idea. It's, we can't. 
you know, the, the answer is not infusing more guns and infusing more guns into a situation where you're asking teach like of all people teachers who who have gone into a certain discipline to do a certain type of work you're asking them to do something to yeah. be their own law enforcement as well i mean it's it's for me people who argue that are showing their hand at how terrible they are what do you want at to see making happen? decisions well think about it though there you have to like look at those kinds of arguments and see that people are not thinking through to the logical conclusion. That is going to end terribly. You have more guns in, you know, in schools K through 12 and you think that it's going to lead to less deaths. Yeah. There is it's it's completely illogical and um do you think no the NRA parent, no parent support, no mother I've ever met, no father I've ever met, no teacher I have ever met is for that and certainly not in Maryland. Are you angry at the NRA? <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm serious. I think that's a fair question. Yeah. No, I you know, the, I have I have a lot of anger and hatred for um, for people who are on the wrong side of this issue. People who are because think about it. Why are people on the other side of the issue? It's because of money. That's what it comes down to. It's not because of the gun. It's not because of the Second Amendment for a lot of people. For a lot of individuals, perhaps they feel that you know they are bought into. Uh, sort of this, um, the idea that they have to have guns, and if they don't have guns, like, we, we might have to overthrow the, the country if we have, you know, a rogue leader, and then, you know, we need that well-regulated militia to be able to do that. I mean, that's really the argument. The same people who believe in stockpiling weapons are the same people who are skeptical of their government, which I never understood that. It, uh, listen, I, I grew up with, with guns. I hunted. Uh, I grew up in Western Maryland, where that is, if, if you ask a congressional candidate who goes up to Allegheny County and, and, and visits the city of Cumberland and surrounding areas where I grew up in Hagerstown, Boonesboro, Washington County, Williamsport, Maryland. Um, listen, we're proud gun owners. And it's not because we're not gun activists, we're not gun nuts, mm -hmm. but we, we believe in securing our life and liberty and property um, by exercising our right to the Second Amendment, but we're responsible about it. And that's the thing. No, see... The, the right and the left at the extremes are creating the narrative. And the narrative that the, the very, very hardcore right is creating is that the left wants to get rid of the Second Amendment. And nobody's saying that. No one's saying that we need to completely, uh, you know, overturn. Does any citizen... It doesn't, it doesn't come down to that. Does any Marylander, should they be able to buy an AR-15? I mean, no one, no one in the... Really, nobody in our country is it no meant for person. hunting? Because I, I tell you what, I've, I've, I've I gotten mean, a few deers myself, yeah. and I've used a thirty odd six. If it's you a bold need action. AR fifteen to get a deer, then you have more problems. Then you have a serious. You then have you, a serious problem. Then you need to go back and take your hunter's safety course again and be trained how to, to, to properly hunt. I've never shot in a. I've never shot a deer with an AR fifteen. Okay, I believe that AR fifteens are made for one thing, and that's killing people. And my friends, and and listen, this is the. My friends on, on the right will say, you have completely lost it. You have gone to the dark side. This is our, the former Republican turned independent libertarian here. Mm -hmm. would, and they would say, you are, I, I'm sorry. It, it, our kids are at stake. They're being murdered. Something's got to change. Yeah. I, I, don't, I, I don't care what it takes. And we talked about this. 
It could be preventative measures. It could be that we need to reexamine how our schools in Montgomery County, and I'm just thinking about Montgomery County here, right. how our schools are, there are security apparatus in place. Do we have a necessary imp the protocols in place? And I think the answer is probably yes, but I don't know with certainty. Well, I think it has to be a multi-pronged approach. Every, every, you know, these are complicated issues. You can't just have one one law that's going to sh change everything. And this is, we have a cultural issue as well. Here. Yeah, that's true. So I mean, there has to be a different different um, aspect. So you know, right now in the legislature, we have five bills in session. Mm -hmm. One of them is to ban bump stocks. Mm -hmm. One of them is to identify uh, domestic violence offenders and have them relinquish their firearms mm -hmm. when after. It's a good bill. It's absolutely. I mean, and there's there's another bill there's by there. Aruna Miller yeah. um, where I think that if you're in, if it a I think a domestic vi uh, violence, uh, someone that has committed some sort of act of domestic violence, and they're in a certain distance of their victim, mm -hmm. there is some sort of monitoring. She would be able to better explain it, but it's an excellent bill, and yeah. there's a lot that we can do, right? And yeah, we did it. We did it somewhat back in 2013 with the passage of SB 281, and that was extremely controversial. Mm -hmm. um, Maryland is will never take away the handguns. They're not. We're not. I think people should be able to, to, yeah. to be able to, to go out and purchase a handgun. I, I believe that we need to make sure that the background checks are comprehensive. They're all-encompassing. And not only that, I, I, I think that we need to have some distance and time there before you actually – you shouldn't be able to walk into a, a, a gun shop and immediately walk back out with a handgun. I mean, we still have – we do have some of the strongest legislation. You're right. And that is – you know, that, that – um our, our assault weapons ban is yeah. essentially um, one of the strongest in the country. But yeah. um, the Giffords Center has a fantastic website, and they they go through. Is that Gabby Giffords? Gabby Giffords. And they have they go through. Who, by the way, was shot on the street corner in Tucson in the head by a, a, a complete crazed person while she was giving a town hall. Right. A member of Con I met Gabby Giffords when I worked on the Hill. Mm -hmm. She was one of the nicest, most sweetest Congresswomen out there mm -hmm. from Arizona and was shot in the head while she was doing her job back in 2011. It was yeah. horrible. Yeah, no, I mean, they, her website for, for the center, um, which is combined now with a, with a different uh, advocacy group, they, they do a fantastic job of documenting what all of the states have in terms of their gun laws because, you know, the CDC is actually not given the funding and, and the ability to track uh, and do sort of uh, research on this topic. So we have to we have to rely on the advocacy groups, and they have a great advocacy um, website. Uh, so I mean, while we have strong gun laws, we're not. It's not like we are, you know, he, you know, really really high in terms of like all of the other states. Ha there's California that has really tough gun laws. Connecticut has really tough gun laws. I mean, there's there's a lot more for us to do. And so one of the things that we need to to do is to really consider how we can identify people who have dangerous histories and make sure that they are separated from their guns. Mm -hmm. So I've been sitting down with people from every town, um, the different advocacy groups that we have here, um, to, uh, to, to find out both what is it that, you know, that they're trying to do right now that we can help uh, to achieve, but really what is the, what's the long-term ideas that they want to push, that they need a good advocate who knows how to get things done in Annapolis. 
And that's what I wanted to talk about. I want to talk about what's happening, you know, in the back of their mind as like, we can't do this now because because we don't have the right, um, you know, we're not we're not sort of there yet, or we're going to hit a lot of we're going to hit a lot of people who are are fighting back against us. I mean, that to me, when I was doing all of that work with the anti sweatshop stuff, I was going every every lecture that I gave at all of those universities. It was it was, you know, could sometimes it was a totally hostile audience. I was going to MBA classes to talk about how they need to completely restructure business when they get out of business school. So like you have to think of better arguments than the people that you're talking to. And I think that part of the role of the delegate is to work with your advocacy groups, your subject matter experts, you have to uh, you know, your academics, mm-hmm. and you have a broad array of stakeholders and you are able to to do the legwork before you even get to the to the place where you are proposing a bill to make sure that we are all in it together. And you can actually, in the bill that you're proposing, is able to logistically be executed and has the budget to be executed as well. Let's talk about, let's, let's move on from guns. Mm-hmm. What does a first year look like for you when you're elected in the Maryland House delegates? What, what would you like to see accomplished <laughs> and how would you like to get there? What would be your focus areas? Yeah. What committees would you like to be on? Um, I mean, economic matters would be great. For yeah, me. that seems to match you yeah. pretty well. I mean, I think that there's a, there's probably four different issues that are my top issues right now. Mm-hmm. So um, it's education, it's gun violence prevention, um, it's economic growth, mm-hmm. and then just environmental protections as well in general. Okay. So, I mean, those are things that I think um, that I'd like to start with. I mean, it's a four-year term. So I'm not limiting myself, obviously, to this. I mean, I think that my website sort of gives an indication about where I'm at on many different platforms. And let's just mention that again. Sure, it's milanofordelegate.com. Okay. Um, and it's very, it's very well done. Thank you. It's a, no, it's a great website. Yeah, no, no, thank you very much. I, it's, it's easily navigable, and that's yeah. what I, I like the most. I mean, I have. I think that the, the way that I structured it was that I, I think that it's important to have a – it's important when, again, it's like in the business world, like you, before you start, you figure out your mission and your vision. You figure out your your, yeah, your plan, your, your business your, plan, your, your plan, right? You, and not just your business plan, but like your philosophical plan. Like mm-hmm. What are your core principles? What are you trying to do here? And that's why I have a strategic approach on my my page, which sort of indicates that I I want to move these various issues forward. I also care very deeply about what is underlying everything, which is both the which is the money and how we spend it and how we make it. Right. And that's it's. I mean, it's not just another component; it is integral. It is the foundation of everything. Right. So there is a limited pot of money. I've gone through the budget. Uh, God bless 20, you. 20, 20, oh my goodness. Budget. I mean, you have to know what you're talking about here, right? So I've, speaking I mean, of which, also, the budget the governor has the sold discretionary authority to set the budget, mm-hmm. and as Rich Manolino talks about quite often on the right. stump, is that Maryland's governor has constitutionally invested the most authority, mm-hmm. probably the most powerful governor of the uh, of the republic here, you know, of our of our given the fifty states. Given his yeah, yeah, his our our state constitution sets our executive mm-hmm. up to be an extremely powerful executive. Yeah, and that's really you know one of the a lot of people who can set priorities. About, right, they set priorities. They also you know, they have a lot of power in terms of um, creating the budget. And then when the budget comes to the General Assembly, you know, we're not able to, to increase it and mm-hmm. we're not able to move line items around. So you have to really – so it's a real fight, right? Mm-hmm. You're fighting with – you're fighting for dollars 
to come back to District 18. We've seen that even on the education front, we are not receiving the amount of education dollars that we're putting into the system. So District 18. District 18. I mean, I think it's like a 6% difference there. Wow. So, I mean, that's something that we can certainly fight for, and we will. And I will. And I, I think that, you know, again, like what I'm bringing to the table is that I, I know how to negotiate these things. I mean, not necessarily um, talking about, uh, you know, budgetary at that level, but I've done something very similar in a, diff a lot of different ways. So um, I think that you have to really understand what, what you can do as a delegate. What is the delegate's role? And for me, the amount of, take education for example, the amount of our shortfall there, which is um, about $3 billion. And, and that's not, I mean, we're talking also about some of the things that, that I and other people want to do, like universal pre-K. Mm -hmm. these, are, these are expensive things. That's the like question, is how do you pay for it? That's the question, is, and I have a plan to pay for it. I mean, I don't think a lot of us... Let's hear it. Oh, sure. Okay, so, so basically, you know, you have to look at... It, it ties into your economic growth. There's a number of different things that we can do. I mean, when we look at the problems that we have for education, one of the big problems that we have is overcrowding. Yes. I mean, my Especially daughter, in Montgomery. Yeah, I mean, my... In, when we were living in Capitol Hill, my daughter went to... Um, she went to preschool there, and she was in a class of 16 kids with two teachers and an aide. And then we were paying half the property tax that we are now. It was like 0.5. Here it's like 0.9 something, right? Um, and, it and, so, and it just went up. Yeah. And so here we are in, um, in Montgomery County. And when she went to school for the first time, she had 28 students in her class, one teacher. And this year she has an autistic student. And every time that I go into the class, because I'm one of the class moms, um, you know, uh, there's, there's no support services that I see. I mean, I know there probably is some type, there's no wraparound service. I mean, th there's a lot of, uh, support staff has been cut dramatically. And when we went for our, our kindergarten orientation, they said, you know, we just want to let you know that we had big budget cuts. This is several years ago. So here we are. How do we, how do we both fight? We, we can fight for more money on the state level. We should do that, absolutely. And we should get back that 6% that we are putting in that we're not getting back. But when we look at the overcrowding situation, what we need is we need to we need more dollars for school construction. And the amount of money that we need for school construction, you know, anybody who says they're going to go to Annapolis and get that money is just they're either like not being honest with themselves or maybe they don't know, but it's just not it's just not there, right? I mean, there is some money there for that, but it's not enough money. It's not the amount of money that we need. So we need to think broader than that. We need to understand where can we bring in more revenue. So, so for me, like, there's a number of different ways that we can do this. One way is that we, we and one of the things I want to do, I've already started to begin to talk about this with um, members of the Board of Ed when I sit down uh, with various people, is that we need to create an authority. Mm -hmm that is a grant, make grant and foundation seeking authority. Because there, there is money out there for us for different, it's not necessarily for the school construction, but there is, there may be money if we are to do, I mean, I, I've been in grant, grant business really for a lot of years. I mean, I've been involved in business development. So I understand sort of like the, the approach that foundations are taking. And, then, and there's things that foundations want to pay for and then there's things that they don't, right? right? We can go after the things that they want to pay for. We, can pot, we can do pilot programs, which is one of the, the great things about being a small state. And you can pilot various programs. And we could have, we could have um, different programming that, we, that 
that we are able to sort of bring in that has a special focus on STEM or a special focus on the arts. I mean, these are things that we can do because the money is out there to do those types of things. And there are, there are organizations that would partner with us, and, and I'm talking about even corporate corporate sort of like the, the foundation making, there, a lot of corporations have like foundation making bodies, mm -hmm. right? Um, there's dollars there as well. So that's like one aspect. Another aspect is that we live in an area, and then this authority can, can go after this money as well. We live in, an, in a very wealthy area. So District 18 has a lot of wealth. It also has a lot of poverty. And there's so a real disparity. There's especially a huge in, disparity. Like between Chevy Chase and Wheaton. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, the, there's you know, so there's a lot of issues that I think our board of ed is doing a fantastic job by identifying issues that are you know necessary for for students um, of you know of low income um, and, and immigrant communities and and you know various sort of needs that children have and they are addressing them head on and they have great ideas. I think they're doing a fantastic job. So so for us, I mean, we have the ability to to partner with some of the wealthier residents who may be interested I mean think about the money that we're that we're raising for this race alone right I mean it's in the yeah thing. let's we talk about that well, well, I mean well, let me just finish for a second because we really do want to be able to to create a, a an amount of money that we are bringing in from from re it could be residents as well where you have a nice tax write-off you do some publicity and you have a wing or a, a, an area of the a new, you know, even to, to the point where we a new school, where we're talking about re dramatically reducing class size, getting kids out of portable classrooms, which are vehemently unsafe. Can Inherently, you believe that we are doing that when people are paying so much money. I mean, it's 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 horrible. And we, we you have know how vulnerable people. students are in pu in portable and classrooms. These, and, and then you think about immigrant kids who are coming, I mean, it, there's a lot of different reasons why portables are, are bad for a number of reasons, but the, the job for the delegate is to find different ways to bring an influx of revenue so we can deal with the issues that we have. Right. So, I mean, well, it's good that you're not just wearing the title, <laughs> right? I mean, a lot of elected officials love the title, but you are, yeah. you're already thinking about these Different unique ways to take the full effect yeah, of your position. Yeah, I would running. So that's yeah. why I'm trying to meet with all of these people. I mean, I could spend a lot more time doing all the different, you know, knocking on doors, which I'm doing, and, and, and fundraising, which I'm doing, but I'm also sitting down with people to understand policy plans and what we can do so that I can hit the ground running come January 2019. There is 2019. an abysmal amount of money in politics. It is. It is, it is tough because... We need campaign finance. Campaign financing reform, like it is nobody's business. Right. We need it now. Would you would you accept public financing at the state level, where we all entered it? Not only that, I would be in favor of capping the amount of money that we are able to spend on these races. Because right. Because when you look at it and you look at all of the the needs that we have as a district, even from special interest groups, it's terrible. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. All right. Cap it. A lot of people, uh, but you have to admit that a lot of people in these Democratic districts are getting a wealth of their money from special interest groups. I mean, that's to I, me problematic. Just as absolutely. much, just as much as a multimillionaire well, look, spending bajillions of dollars yeah. on his or her own race. Well, look, when, if we don't have campaign finance reform, then who is able to come in and raise this amount of money? I can tell you that. I've, I know a lot of people who are really good on policy, yeah. who would be really great in Annapolis. But they don't want to raise the money. They are not fundraisers. They're not going to be able to raise the money. <laughs> they can't, I mean, it is hard work, yeah, right? Of course it is. You have to call everybody you know. 
everyone that you know as a as a first level, right? And, and sort of say, you know, will you support my campaign? Like, can you can you give me a donation? Like, you're spending. We have people who are in Annapolis even who are spending. Well, not now because they're in session, but the role of of our elected officials. You are spending so much of your time fundraising, and then people turn around and they're like. Can you believe they took money from so and so? Well, yeah, because they are not a viable candidate if they don't take money. If they, they're like looking for money so they can actually, you know, operate in this environment where they there is no cap. How right? much is it? How much is it to take to win a delegate race in in District 18? I mean, you could probably do it. I mean, the last last year or last time we had an election, two people, Al and Jeff, raised I think about seventy five thousand and Anna okay. about thirty four thousand. But now we're in a in a different kind of race. We have eight people running. I mean, it's like I think you have to. You said that you probably, wanted to raise one hundred and fifty. Yeah, 000. I mean, I think that you have to raise probably like a no less than like how much are delegates? Five ninety to be. How much final. are delegates paid? Like fifty? Forty-seven thousand. Okay, so that's. You know. But I mean, but that's the thing. Like it, to me, to me, a person who's been involved in grassroots causes and has fundraised for people. Yeah. You know, and you know they're how to do that. asking for money for me to run for office from all of these, you know, individuals, and I'm like, it's, the money is sick. You know, it is, it is so distasteful, and I think that we should have public campaign, campaign financing, and we should have a cap on the amount of donations that are able to be raised. Absolutely. Here's a question that I think threw some people for a loop at the last District 18 forum, which was held at, uh, a, I think it was a middle school inside of your district. Um, we talked about gerrymandering, and I, I will say that I know you, I know that Brian Frosch does a lot of important things in our state, but I will say that I was disappointed to see mm -hmm. that he did take a position on, he believes that the 6th Congressional District, which we're in now, you live in the 8th. I don't know if he actually believes it. Let's just well, well, I here, I mean, I thought, I heard, he talked about that yesterday. There's no reason why we I should mean, he's be. Sort of, he, his, he has, he's sort of. That's going to be a big issue. It's the party line. It's not my line, but I think that he. I think. So when, you support talks, gerrymandering reform? Absolutely. Truth is truth. You know, when, when whether it's, it's Democrats or Republicans absolutely. who would benefit. Look, when if the, if the Republicans come up with an idea and all the Democrats say that's a bad idea, but it's a good idea, I'm going to stand up for it. Good. But yeah, absolutely. I'm not. So you can be bipartisan. Yeah, I have a lot of look. I, my 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 values. That's a truly, dirty word these days. Are truly democratic, but I have so many friends who are are Republican. I listen. To, I've been listening to Republicans and Libertarians for for decades. That's now. good to know. Very very closely because you, in order to to negotiate with people, you, have you to hear absolutely them. well. You have to hear them, but you have to you have to understand their motivations. You have to understand why they make the decisions they make. You have to understand their arguments because you can't counter an argument that you don't that you can't argue yourself, right? So, you know, you have to understand, and, and to me, the, the Rush Limbaugh's of the world, even the Rachel Maddow, even though she's, like, on a very much higher level than like Rush Limbaugh, yeah. uh, but, the, but there, Glad there you said are, that. I mean, they, I, mean I, I like, I can't really, I, mean, I don't listen to her show because I feel like it's, it's not the kind of show. Well, that you don't have I, time. I also don't watch TV, so, but anyway, <laughs> uh, but, like, the, we are being pulled apart to, like, both sort of extremes. Which, okay, I get it on the issues, but what I don't like is that there is an overlay of don't trust the other people. And the other people actually are your your friends with them, right? So you know that, like, we can meet common ground. I honestly haven't heard anybody 
clearly articulate it like you just did, and I've been trying to think about how to say this. And why are we demonizing political opponents when we have to talk to them? Yeah, I mean, I, the thing is, I, it's, it's I, I always will like, never go after somebody on in a personal way, and that's good. what I don't like about those two polemic extremes, which is that they and go it's after, mean these days. They go after the personal stuff. It's like when people would talk about like Chris Christie. Because I, you know, my parents live in New Jersey, like, and I'm from Philadelphia. Like, they would talk about his weight. It's like you are you absolutely nullify your argument when you go after things that have nothing to do with policy. Right. Talk now, when you see him policy. on a beach on a on a but when you even that, like, who cares? Like, I mean, okay, that look, what he did was wrong. Yes, exactly. it was. What he did was wrong. Yeah. Right? Talk about what he did, not about like the way he looks. So right? I like, have a criticism here that I hear a lot of the. The Democratic gubernatorial candidates, it's just one attack after Larry Hogan, one attack after the other. And okay, disagree with Larry Hogan on substantive policy. But to say that Larry, I mean, I've heard candidates say, Larry Hogan has not done anything for education. Larry Hogan has not done anything for for well, transit. They, just, they put themselves in a in a bad position because when I you tune them out when I hear that. See, that's the thing. But when you when you don't when you're not really being honest with your, and I'm not saying they're not, because I haven't attended any of those. And there's a lot of people that are running that are super talented that I like a lot. Mm-hmm. And I'm very, and I'm... Have I'm, you picked a candidate? And No, I haven't. And I'm, well, I mean, I, I'm not going to talk about it here, but like, I am not, I'm not voting, uh, you know, for Larry Hogan. So, um, but here's the thing, though. And this is just a, per, you know, a, a perspective from somebody looking in. And they have their own issues that they're dealing with. But in order to get the trust of constituents, you have to verbalize what they're seeing. You can't talk about something that you want to be the case. You have to say, so because if Larry Hogan is doing certain things that people like, that is the truth. If you talk to people, you hear it. Now let's let's uncover and, and analyze why and what's happening. And when you do, you can also see that, you know, Madalena has a great point in that, that Larry Hogan is talking certain, uh, you know, certain talks and he's doing certain things that, that Democrats are actually asking him to. Okay. Um, however, there's things that he's doing that are not at all in line with Democratic principles. He's appointing certain people to certain boards who, you know, are are either, you know, NRA kind of people or they are just people who do not share the values of Democrats. And Well, that's fair. And that's what and Republicans hit other, O'Malley on for many. There's a lot of other things. There's a lot of other arguments. And I, and I haven't heard all of the gubernatorial candidates I heard Madalino, and I thought oh. he made great points. Um, so, I mean, but but I think that what you're saying, though, is accurate in that people have got to accurately identify for, you know, to, when they're talking to people, w- the reality of the situation, and then go do your analysis from there. You can't just say what you th- that you wanted to say, you know, what, what you want the situation to be, because a lot of times, if that doesn't resonate with people, then they tune you out, just like you just said that you were doing as well. I, I find myself being able to have a, a real discussion with people who are willing to listen to your argument. And I have made many friends, um, Republicans mm-hmm. and Democrats, more so Democrats, because I feel like there is there is middle ground everywhere. Mm-hmm. And as someone like myself who's covering this as a journalist, nobody gives nobody gives a crap where I stand on the politics because my job is to draw out the conversation, right. is to, to get you talking about these most important issues yeah. and then present the facts. And from my responsibility is to not frame the narrative but present exactly what candidates are saying mm-hmm. and to make sure that 
keep you all honest. <laughs> so, and and that's why we do this. That's why look, I'm I'm never going to have the reach as the Post or the Baltimore Sun, but. The well, people. We can talk about a business model. I think I can help you with that. Okay. All right. <laughs> yeah. You can I mean, be my consultant. That, yeah, yeah. I mean, there, there is a, there is a, there is a void right now for us in terms for you know I'm talking about District 18 and actually Montgomery County at large. Um, there's not a, there's not a great um, um, sort of method for us to receive information in a timely way and in a way that we can digest it. Mm-hmm. As, as, as parents, I mean, I'm just talking about from from my base. No, I want to hear. There's a this. lot of people who are not paying attention, not because they don't want to. They are people who are very very smart. They are people who have paid attention to the are paying attention to the federal level, but they just can't seem to get the information about what's happening in Annapolis. Mm-hmm. So that's why they, that's one of the reasons that they don't know the names of of their elected officials in in Maryland. I mean, I'm. And and when I talk to them, I've had so many of these conversations. They're like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry, but I don't I don't know the names of of my delegates, I don't know the name of the senator, and it's because, you know, even though these are people who do vote, it's they 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 have you know there's no good way of of uh, there's no local newspaper. We need to get shows like yours and like Seven State Blogs. We have to be able to get that on a different level where it's in everybody's email box where we are communicating on a different level. So mm-hmm. if you want to share, ways to, if like, you want to share your email contacts with me, I'll automatically sign everybody up. Yeah, I mean, but I think, that there's, I think there's a revenue model there for you too. But anyway, we'll talk about it later. Well, and one thing I think people, I, I, and in full disclosure, I don't mm-hmm. take any money from this. Um, it is purely out of my love for politics, mm-hmm. out of my love for policy and having these conversations. And I learn so much every time I sit down mm-hmm. with candidates like yourself. I, it, it is honestly the highlight of my week. And, and I, I have a full-time job, too, you as well. And we, we often get wrapped up in, in that type of work because we still have to bring home the paycheck and we have to take care of the family. Yeah. Um, I love what I do. I love it, and I think that shines through. And I, I really mean that, um, that talking to ki- people see me everywhere, and they say, how do you have so much time to do this? Or how, you know, where do you find the time? And I say, I make time. Yeah, but, but when I just said, was, but, and I agree with everything you just said, and when I, but it's interesting to me when I said, you know, there's a revenue model there that you were like, but, but I don't want to like profit from this. And here's the thing: there's way. It's not an. It's not a bad thing to, um, either you know, both be paid for for the time that you put into it, mm-hmm. and then you can invest more time. Yeah. But then we could right. also have an opportunity for small businesses to do advertising, which yes. they're not currently doing. Yeah. Okay. So and then there was, and then if we had like a small newspaper or something like that, which we had in a in a in a place where, in a, that I used to live, and I know the person who ran. We used to have the Gazette here in Montgomery County. Right. I mean, we could use something like that so that we could help the small businesses to do more. Martin, we could do high, like we could do articles about you know various uh, small businesses and what they're offering when they come online. When we only had, you know, you had, had read Seven State Blog had done an yeah, nineteen new businesses, nineteen that were that had come online. In Montgomery County in, in 2017. 2017. No, I think it was 16. Or 16, okay. That is horrifying. I mean, that is not a good place for us <clears> to be. We need to, that should be, I mean, in the, in the hundreds. Do you want Amazon really to come hundreds. here? Um, yes, I do. And here's the thing. There's a lot of, there's a lot of problems with, potentially, with Amazon coming. I, I get that. I used to be a grassroots activist. Like, I, I totally understand all of the components of why why people would be skeptical skeptical of Amazon coming. However, you have to look at this. Um, would that be in your district? 
if it came? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, we're talking, they're looking at White Flint. Um, is that in your district? At, yeah, White Flint Mall area. So, like, in Wheaton. Um, I would love Amazon to come here on a couple of conditions. Number one, I don't believe in billions of dollars in corporate welfare. I don't. I don't, I, I don't think that that is a plausible business model. I do believe that Amazon could contribute more. We haven't heard the plan, so we're not we even sure. We know that there's like $3 billion for, I think, for infrastructure. That's right. Or maybe with $2 billion for infrastructure, $3 billion We have an infrastructure problem, tax. a big one, yeah, and that's my concern well, in our overcrowding of schools because with the influx of, of Amazon employees coming into where right. we are, um, our, our school system will then be bombarded. And look, our schools are overcrowded here. we got a problem. I we, know. I mean, that's I, we, why I have a plan to, to, to change that. But, but see, the thing is, like, this is all about negotiation, too. Okay, Amazon is not really actually looking at 20 different locations. Okay, they're probably down to maybe four. three, maybe three, probably two. And I think we're one of them. You think so? I absolutely do. Where's the other ones? I I think it's probably Virginia. Yeah, I would think I would think Northern Virginia, and I also think Dallas. Yeah, I mean, some people. I, I talked to somebody who um, deals with th these issues and thought Maybe that Pittsburgh. Atlanta was another um, possibility. But like, Columbus, Ohio is not going to get Amazon, in in my opinion. I don't. I could be wrong, but I just don't think that that that's a viable option. You know what? What we have to do, and I don't think, and this is this is something that the gubernatorial candidates can really attack Larry Hogan on, is you know. Oh, I, I've been I've been brought a message by our chorus. Okay, so Kimberly Euler has breaking news. Oh, oh, jeez. Oh, okay. Okay. Hey. Okay, Kim had breaking news that I'm not, I'm not allowed to report, so she rushed down to give me a note. And okay, but but okay, I'll talk to you in ten minutes. <laughs> you two are cute. <clears throat> so. So. You want Amazon to come here. We all do, right? Wouldn't that be a great get for for Montgomery County? I mean, I do for a lot of different reasons. Um, you know, we we don't necessarily have to import, you know, all of those jobs. We have people right here who could who are primed for those types of jobs. But the traffic. Well, the traffic, yes, but that's there, when we're talking about the dollars for infrastructure. That's when we can think about smart growth. I mean, that smart be, growth is something that I don't hear us. as much as we should. Here. Well, it's an opportunity for us. We have to every time that we have an opportunity, like uh, like an Amazon, or we have an opportunity for investing in infrastructure, investing in renewable energy. We have to look the world over for like the best the best of what's being done, and then build on it. So we're, we're engaging with people. We're not doing the bad things that they, they wish they hadn't done. <laughs> we are understanding. We're, we're learning from others' mistakes, and we're doing things in it. I mean, that's what you do when you're, when you're trying to, you know, in, a, in the business world. So that's what I think is really important for here. I mean, we have an opportunity to create some, um, some great uh, technology, leveraging technology for our transportation needs. I mean, we, there's a number of things that we could do. Um, and if we have that type of an investment, we can do that. I mean, the thing is, like, Amazon as well, once they get here, and I do think that they – I really do think that we are at the top here, and, and then not for the reasons that other people do. We're the only county. That We're the only county. We are an end. They're be coming into a place with a $15 minimum wage. Uh -huh. And that you support is not that. even – That's right? not even a deterrent. I, I support it, absolutely. That's not even a deterrent for them. Would you support because it at the state of, level? I would support it at a state level. I would support it, you know, yeah, I support it at a state level. I okay. mean, I think the thing is, like, 
when you're talking about when you're talking about wages for people, people who are willing to do uh, hard days work yeah. for for you know good pay, they should be able to pay for. And this is how I did my research when I was in Indonesia. What should they be able to pay for in Maryland? They should be able to pay for a one-bedroom apartment renting. They should be able to eat three meals a day. They should be able to eat. Uh, they should be able to pay for their basic needs, right? That's what they should be able to pay for. And so if you have to understand how much does it cost to rent an apartment, a one-bedroom apartment. I do that research. You know, we're talking about somewhere between 1200 you know, 1500 Maybe it's a little bit less, depending. But in the urban areas around our state, that's sort of where we're at. That's a lot. For, it's a lot. It's expensive. For, on $15. Uh, I mean, it's... Yeah, because what is... Let me... Are you yeah, doing math? Yeah, let me do the math real fast. Okay. Um, She's doing... We're doing math live. And so I, I, mental math is not my forte. But you are doing. But a fifteen dollar fifteen dollars an hour is thirty one thousand two hundred annual job, right? That's what it is. When I was working on Capitol Hill, uh, my starting salary was twenty six thousand dollars a year. Right. When I started in public health, mine was twenty three thousand. So. Well, I I had a one bedroom efficiency on Capitol Hill, and it was it was a shithole. I mean, it was it was terrible. Yeah. I mean, I I it was like virtually a group house. And I know those places because I oh, live in Capitol Hill. My God, <laughs> I did not want to ever bring my parents in right, right. or I anybody, know, and and people were like, "Oh, well, we're, we're, you know, why don't you come to our place?" And I'm like, "Yes, please. Can I stay? Can, right, right. can I move in?" No, I mean, I think that we have to be able to balance, um, you know, like our our morality. You know, we have to bring that into yeah. the equation here. Um, and so sometimes it's not comfortable, but we and I am a big proponent of creating an environment for businesses to thrive. But I also believe very, very much in the fact that we have to take care of our our, our workers. We have to take care of the low lowest level paid individuals because they are the ones. I mean, why are we doing all of this, right? Why are we doing any of this? We are trying. I mean, good question. Well, I'll tell you why I'm doing it. I mean, I'm trying to 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 get into Annapolis to create, uh, really to, to create legislation and opportunities for all Marylanders. But democratic values, progressive values, say that we need to have a special attention for the most vulnerable among us. That's why we're doing this work. We are doing, we are trying to increase the quality of life for everyone, but we have to understand what the, and this, this coming back to the beginning of our conversation, this is where the, the Catholic in me is sort of like gets the grounding in this type of work, right? Because we have to think about what the, the most vulnerable among us are dealing with every day. Yeah, that's true. From the immigrants who are worried, the kids who are worried that they, when they are going to school, when they come home, that their parents are going to have been deported or detained. I mean, these are like, you know, kids who my child goes to school with. Yeah. Dealing with that type of worry. I mean, that is terrible. We need to do we need to take action on things like that. We need to take action on the fact that there's people who I mean and I'm glad that we have it on a county level, but in our state there is there is great poverty. And there's poverty with people who are working for multinational companies and that shouldn't be the case. I agree. I think we said it. I think we did. I think you're ready to be a delegate. You think? I think so. I think you're ready. Um I just wish it wouldn't take so much money. I do, too. Yeah. I, well, I, again, it's very distasteful when you see the, the amount of poverty that exists and the need that exists on so many different fronts to raise 
so much money from, you know, for a race like this. That's very distasteful for me. Right. I don't like it. I wouldn't either. And I, I tell you what, I think that once you get into Annapolis, here's another thing, and we have a few more minutes left, but I wish I'd like to see more women be elected to office this year. I mean, I'm so, I mean, I, right? well, Donald, I agree. I mean, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in fertile territory to say that here. So. Well, it's one of the reasons why I'm running. We yeah. had, of our four, three delegates, one senator. We had one woman for the last 10 years. We had 25% representation for the last 10 years. I mean, granted, like our, you know, denominator here is like, but I, I think that we only, we only have, I did the research because couldn't find it. There's only 34% women in the House of Delegates. Yeah. Okay. So across the board. It's usually about somewhere between 25, 30, maybe 35% in the country of women representing us. We are 50% of the population. Come on now. It is time. We've had enough, right? Right. Need, so this is what I'm telling people when I, when I see them. I'm asking for their vote, number right. one. Number two, I'm asking for them in, when to, they are creating a team. Yeah. When you go into that, to the voting booth, you're creating a team. Yeah. When you create a team, I'm asking people to, to bring me in because I have a different set of, of skills than anybody else. Nobody sort of has the, the executive leadership that I have. So I think I'm, part, I'm a good part of the team, right? I also think that that team should be at least half women. So if you are go, when you're going in and you're voting for four people, two of them should be women. And I don't, I don't mind saying that to everybody that I'm talking to. And I would say maybe, maybe it's more than that, too, because we have a little ways to catch up. But at least, because if you don't, in the voting booth, create gender parity, we are never going to see it yeah. in the gender, General Assembly. Yes, I agree. I want to see more women. women. Vote women. This is the year of the woman. All right, so we, we talked about a lot. We covered a lot of ground. I, we, could, we could go on for hours, but we don't have the time. Yeah. And we're, listen, this is going to be live broadcasted <laughs> tonight. Uh, mm -hmm. This is Sunday, February the 25th. Um, we're, it's going to be on blogtalkradio.com, a minor detail. And so let's just wrap it up. Your website is milanofordelegate.com. It is. And you're in the town of Chevy Chase. People, people I'm not can, in the town. Or I'm, I'm sorry. I'm oh. In, I'm, well, the, the town's a little bit more exclusive than where oh. I'm at. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I'm in Rome. I've been corrected. <laughs> I have. I, the, the intensity of which I just said that is actually just sort of uh, peripheral from, like, all the conversations that we just had about all these very yeah. important policy issues that I'm still on fire about. Well, it, you are, you are a, a definitely one of the, the most interesting candidates that I've seen running this cycle. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I mean that. I think that I think you have a real opportunity here. And I hope you get out, continue to sell the message, be positive, and, yeah. um, you know, you're just you're changing hearts and minds one conversation. At a time. So we'll end on that. I appreciate you. Can I ask, actually uh, add one more thing? Yes. So the last thing that I wanted, when I, when I wrapped up at the debate that we had yes. last uh, time that we had talked, um, <clears throat> I said to people, this is what I, this is what I really want, want from my representatives, right? Um, I am committing to people that I'm going to get back to them on any constituent request or organizational constituent request within 48 hours. Mm -hmm. I want them to know my name. I want to I want every voter to know who is representing them. I want them to know how to contact me. And I want them to contact me on any of the issues that they feel are important for me to know about. I will hold town hall meetings. I will hold them in a way that 
is accessible to seniors and young, uh, young families so that they can participate in their homes online. I mean, come on, we have, like, this is the technology that we need to leverage in order to be the, the participatory democratic uh, yeah. county that we really want to be, right? So I think that um, I'm going to do that. And I, and I know that we have a large Spanish-speaking population mm -hmm. as well. So you know, I'm, I'm planning to do that same thing in Spanish. Good. Um, yes. Uh, different, you know, different time. It, it, you know, depends. We'll see how it works out. But I mean, it's a priority for me. The priority for me is also being able to work with our community to build community. Because once you keep going to these town halls, we'll have donuts. We'll, we'll engage people. We'll bring mm. them out of their homes, right? But you're going to start to, you're going to start to meet your neighbors and be more, you know, more of a. You know, we're going to build our community in a way that we haven't yet. Right. And I think that is really critical for us. There are a lot of people that are not super engaged in the process. They want to be. They're political people. Right. We live right outside of D.C. Right. Right? We have to make it – we have to meet people where they're at. We have to make it more accessible and convenient for them to participate in this democratic process. Yes. And that's why we – I do what I do. Exactly. I want to thank engage. Thank you for doing what you Well, do. you're welcome. And, and I, I appreciate it. And thank you for having me as well because this Anytime. is – This I, is um, very important for me to be able to get the message out. Um, and, I, and I really appreciate it, and I think you're doing a great job. Well, I appreciate that, Leslie, and you're welcome to come back. You have a platform here at any time. The primary is June 26. It will be <laughs> – there's, there's two more days to file, and it looks like you have, what, about eight candidates here running. Um, right. And so you have you know, some good people who are running, mm -hmm. and I know that you're going to do your level best to get your message out. Yeah. And I think you're going to be everywhere. And it's going to be exhausting. You're going to be tired. You might be cranky. Who knows? But I tell you what, it, it, this, it's all for a higher purpose. It means something. And anybody who puts their name on a ballot, who runs, who stands up for their values, and who puts together a platform, they've earned my respect. I may not always agree with the candidate, right. but it takes a lot to run for public office. And people who sit on their couch and say, oh, well, I should – you did it. You said, you know what, I can do this. Mm -hmm. Not only can I do this, but I got a real plan. I got a mission. And there is nothing more dangerous than being <laughs> stuck in front of a woman who has a mission. <laughs> and and I and I say that endearingly because it's true. Yes, women who the voice, yeah. Yes, women who have a plan and yeah. a mission don't ever get in front of them because they will run right over you. That's why, yeah, I mean, that, that's what Moms Demand Action was just doing right before I came yep. here. I mean, that, that is a force to be reckoned with, and I'd say that the women who are running in this race, that's why I was saying that it's really, it's, there's, three, there's three opportunities here mm -hmm. because we have incredible passion yeah. for the candidates. I like so many of the candidates. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm going to be friends with some of these candidates for a very long time. Uh, because and we have a good, really good camaraderie, so I think that that good. says a lot. This is this is a good race, you know, and, this, it is. and they're good people. And so, you know, the people, the the District 18 constituents are going to win, in you know either way. But I think you need to understand sort of who the different players are, what their strengths are, and build your team. Right. Well, you're doing that. So thanks for coming on, and best of luck to you moving forward. Thank you. And come back anytime. Thanks, Ryan. All right. You're welcome. And you can find me on aminordetail.com. That's our website. We cover Maryland news and politics and blogtalkradio.com slash aminordetail. 
and I'm on every Sunday night live at 9 o'clock p.m. Of course, this interview was pre-recorded because rarely do we have candidates who stop over and... Uh, and have small children. And say, <laughs> that's right. So, once again, thanks for doing this, Leslie. Thank you so much. All right. All right, that was Leslie Milano, District 18 candidate for the Maryland House of Delegates. And we're going to wrap up there. Everybody have a great week.